Thanks, Lauren. Yes, this is a longer reading than normal, so um, bear with it. Just sit back, listen, and enjoy. Uh, for context, uh, Territory Dan's done a little bit of work in, tell, in terms of telling us where we're going. Thank you uh, for that. But remember last week, uh, we saw that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Not great. He was taken to Egypt, and then things got even worse for him when he was thrown into jail by Potiphar after Potiphar's wife had falsely accused Joseph of raping her. Who said the Bible's not full of fun stories? Okay, we're going to start from uh, chapter 40, starting at verse 1. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hands. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favourable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. Three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole. And the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. And he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, 
sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the river bank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream I was standing on the bank of the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. It is, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. 
The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it, follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. The food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, Make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphnath Paneah, and gave him Asnath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sands of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asnath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because of God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second he named Ephraim and said, It is because of God has made, my fruit, made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was a huge famine in all the other lands, 
in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all Egyptians, Go to Joseph and, he, and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt, and all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. Thank you. Guys, that's quite an epic, isn't it? Uh, Cows and grain and dreams and uh, in the end a whole country saved from uh, a terrible famine. Uh, You know, I think it's fair to say that humans have always had something of an obsession with the future. It's fair to say that humans have always had something of an obsession with the future. Uh, And that's because we know that any kind of any knowledge of the future we have can be very powerful. Uh, can have very big implications for the present. So you go back uh, thousands of years to ancient times and there were always uh, all sorts of things around weather prediction, uh, whether it was kind of ancient scientists trying to figure out how to predict the weather or more sort of uh, religious rituals and that sort of thing. It's always been a big deal because, you know, if you can have even a little bit of knowledge of what weather is to come, then you can know uh, when to plant crops and so you can eat more food. Uh, if you get knowledge about the future, it has implications in the present. And of course, we're just as interested in the future today. We uh, still invest lots of money uh, into things like weather prediction, but there's all sorts of other things uh, that we're interested in as well. Uh, In economics, there's a whole futures market, isn't there? And if you can uh, predict what the economy is going to do, you can make a lot of money yourself. That's a highly valued skill. And companies will spend, actually, I don't know if you've heard about this, companies will spend millions and millions of dollars uh, just to lay, lay new cables, more direct sort of fibre optic cables, because if they can respond even just a couple of milliseconds quicker to a change uh, in an economic market, then they can make uh, a lot of money. And we hear so much on the news, don't we, about uh, what people are, people, people are predicting that house prices will do or uh, what inflation's going to do. Uh, but of course, it's not just the economics either. You know, for one thing... Uh, We love all things, kind of time travel, and uh, we love all sorts of stories. We have all sorts of stories about the future and all sorts of stories about time travel. Uh, Particularly, there's all those stories that are sort of post-apocalyptic, sort of what could happen in the future sort of stories. Uh, We're very interested in that sort of thing. And it's also not, also just the big global stuff that has big global implications. We're also very interested in our own futures, aren't we? Uh, And things like trying to predict your own future, things like star signs or... Uh, divination, those things are still just as popular as ever as people try and work out things like what they should prioritise or whether they're going to find new love, uh, any number of things. Or of course, just at the more basic day-to-day level, we just like knowing what our future plans are, don't we? You know, we like knowing what we're doing in our, in our lives. We, 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 we kind of feel that at the moment, don't we, with all the turmoil that's going around uh, here at church or out there in the world. We find it hard when we don't have certainty about what's to come. We find it hard when we don't have certainty about what next month is going to look like or what next year is going to look like. I think that was one of the hardest things with COVID in the last few years, not really knowing uh, what the future held, not really knowing if we could look forward to that holiday we'd booked or not. We find it much easier knowing what our future plans are, what's going to happen. And a lot of that is because if we know what the future looks like, well, then we find it much easier to make decisions in the present. We can figure out what to prioritise, what we should be preparing ourselves for. We spend a lot of energy thinking about the future and it's because wanting to know what we want to know what's going to happen in the future because we know that that knowledge of the future shapes 
what we do and what we prioritize in the present. Now, as we come to our second week today, thinking about the story of Joseph, we've seen that Joseph is given special knowledge of the future. And it's knowledge that is very powerful. It has uh, very big present implications of famine's coming. That has a big impact. You know, a whole country needs to spring into action because you're only going to have seven good years and then you can have seven years of famine. Uh, Ultimately, because of the knowledge that Joseph has, the whole country is saved, isn't it? That future knowledge that's given to Joseph, it's powerful. It brings about great blessing in the present. And so as we think about this story, as we think about the knowledge that's given to Joseph of the future, I just, I've got a couple of things for us to notice. Let's first do here, uh, firstly, the source of the knowledge and secondly, the impact of the knowledge. Uh, so we're going to notice those these two things. And then uh, I want to spend a fair bit of time today turning our attention to ourselves because I think uh, this story, it's an epic story that we've had read. And I actually think it has a lot to say to us uh, here today. So we're going to uh, ask about what our knowledge is and then we're going to draw out some implications to finish. So uh, they're the four things we're going to do this morning. So first, um, we've, we've heard the story read out for us. Let's, let's, let's notice these two things. Uh, firstly, the source of Joseph's knowledge. We already have heard about this in the kids' talk, haven't we? What was the source of the knowledge that Joseph has of the future. Well, the knowledge Joseph's given of the future comes from God, doesn't it? And you see it in the first part of the story. Joseph's in jail. Uh, as, as we know the story, he's had a brutal run. He was sold into slavery, taken off to Egypt, then falsely accused of rape, then thrown into jail. So his life has just gone down and down and down and down. And he's in prison, and that's when you get uh, the, the, the first part of our story with the cupbearer and the baker. There's these two other guys cupbearer, someone who holds the cup for Pharaoh, baker, it's a bit more obvious, uh, and those two people, they're also in jail, and they also have, they, they have dreams. And Joseph, well, he is given the, the special knowledge of, of the future of these two men. For the cupbearer, it's his lucky day. In three days, he's going to get out of jail, go back to his normal life. That's his future. For the baker, it's, it's not a great future. You know, did you notice that bit in the story? He comes to Joseph really keen and eager because he thinks he, he's going to about to hear good news as well. But no, he is in three days going to be put to death. Joseph is the one who's able to accurately predict what's going to happen to these two men. Uh, but, but what's the source of Joseph's knowledge? Well, we saw it twice during the story. Firstly, in, uh, firstly in verse 8, uh, we both had dreams they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Uh, Joseph said to them, do, do not interpretations belong to God? Do not interpretations belong to God? Joseph's very clear. The story is very clear. Joseph's knowledge of the future is not his own being able to figure things out. Joseph's knowledge of the future comes from God. It's God who knows the future. And God reveals that knowledge of the future through Joseph, his chosen instrument, his chosen ruler. And then as we heard the story, it kind of all fizzles out a bit, doesn't it? You kind of expect Joseph's going to get out of jail, but instead the cupbearer forgets him. Uh, Joseph has to sit in jail for another two years. But then we get to part two of our story, more dreams. And this time it's Pharaoh, the the king of the whole country, who's having mysterious dreams. And again, Joseph is called, called upon. And again, God gives Joseph more knowledge of the dreams. And again, we see the source of Joseph's knowledge of the future. What's the source of Joseph's knowledge of the future? We see it in verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. But this is where Joseph says, no, 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 I cannot do it. Joseph replies to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Again, the knowledge of the future comes from God. It's God who knows the future. And again, it's God who reveals 
the future through his chosen instrument, through his chosen ruler, Joseph. What is the source of Joseph's future knowledge? It's really, really clear, isn't it? It's God. Now, why is that important? Well, we could say a couple of things. For one thing, I think this truth that it's God who knows the future, it does push back on an idea that is actually out there. It's quite popular. It is quite uh, trendy and to think that we can figure out our own futures. You know, like I said before, you can, you can go to the kind of the less Christian stuff like, like star signs or palm reading. Uh, but also, as we saw in our story, uh, it could also be things that are a bit, maybe a bit more Christian, maybe things like actually our dreams and decoding our dreams. There is this idea out there in the Christian world that we can have our dreams and decode them and uh, work out the future as well. Uh, I was in Kurong a few weeks ago and I went to have a look and you can go to Kurong and you can find all sorts of books about how to interpret your dreams and how to, uh, from your dreams, figure out what the future holds. Uh, there was one book, it was called Decoding the Most Common Types of Dreams. I picked it up and had a flip through. It had chapters on what it means if you're dreaming about crocodiles, what it means if you're dreaming about dogs, what it means if you're dreaming about snakes, what it means if you always dream about going to the toilet. That's, that means that God's putting you through a time of cleansing, apparently. Uh, not making it up. Uh, the chapter, though, that caught my eye, first of all, was uh, dreams about being naked in public. Uh, apparently, if you dream about being naked in front of just one person, it's actually a sign that uh, you're going to have a close relationship with that person, which um, is a bit weird. But um, if you dream about uh, being naked in front of a whole crowd, which I have never done, but uh, if you dream about being naked in front of a whole crowd, which apparently is very common, that's because God wants you to be a great public speaker. That's, uh, that's what the book says. So there, there you go. Um, well, this, this sort of stuff is out there, and people will actually use stories probably just like the story we've read today. That's probably one of the classic stories you might use to actually justify that sort of stuff as Christian. But it's clear, isn't it, that actually even the Joseph story, it's not telling us that we can kind of sit down and decode our book, uh, our dreams with the help of a good book. It's not telling us that our, our dreams are there to figure out kind of the future. You, know, it's, you might as well be asking Pharaoh's magicians for help like Pharaoh did when he first had his dream. I, we haven't taken very long to see it, have we? The story of Joseph is telling us very clearly that it's God who knows the future. It's only God who knows the future. It's not as if God couldn't reveal little bits of the future to us. He reveals the future to Joseph. But also, remember how we talked about it last week, if you were here. One of the things we really need to be careful of through the whole Joseph story is that uh, Joseph is not here to be the typical, relatable, normal Christian experience, Right? The point is not to think, oh, maybe I'll have an experience like Joseph. We don't rule out the idea that God could speak to us through a dream, but what we want to be careful about is actually not missing the point of this Bible story. The point is not uh, that, that we could have a dream like Joseph had a dream. The point is that Joseph is God's chosen ruler, God's chosen saviour. And actually God, who knows the future, is revealing the future through his chosen ruler, through his chosen saviour the source of the knowledge. Let's talk about then the impact of the knowledge. Because uh, as we talked about at the start, if we know the future, it can have big, uh, powerful implications in the present. And in our story, through Joseph, God today revealed something very, very powerful. There's going to be seven years of good crops, then seven years of famine. And knowing that future truth 
well, we saw it, didn't we? That whole last part of our reading, it just showed us what a huge impact that had. Now, so first of all, Pharaoh looks straight at Joseph and says, well, you, clearly God, God has revealed the future to you. Clearly you're very wise. I'm going to put you in charge. And so Joseph's taken out of jail. He's raised up. He's given power. He's given a high position. He's given a wife. After all those years of being in slavery and being in prison, finally those dreams that we looked at last week of Joseph being raised up, the people bowing down to him, finally God has come through on those original dreams. But this knowledge that's revealed to Joseph has so much broader of an impact than that. It, it sets off this whole chain, of, chain reaction of events throughout the whole country of Egypt. You know, they, they suddenly realize we're going to have seven years of good crops. We need to build storehouses. We need to collect grain. We, they, they store mountains and mountains of grain away, so much that they can't even keep records. I kind of, as I'm reading it, I'm kind of picturing what it would be like being a farmer during those seven years. You're kind of having all these amazing years of crops and then you're thinking, yeah, they're taking away all my grain to store it all up. But of course, once you have the knowledge of what's going on, it makes total sense, doesn't it? A drought's coming, a famine's coming. It's all very logical. It's all very reasonable course of action. It's, it's of course, the thing that you would do, knowing that future knowledge that has been revealed through Joseph. Their knowledge of the future has had a big impact. Their priorities, uh, the priorities of a whole country are flipped on their head. And, and from what happens, great good comes from it, doesn't it? People are still able to eat. You see it right at the end of our story, uh, verse 56. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world actually, it goes beyond Egypt, all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. The Egyptians are fed. It actually, actually the, whole, the whole world is fed, as we've said. You know, the, the whole world is able to eat because Egypt has grain, because of this future knowledge that's been revealed through Joseph. I think it's right here to think back to Abraham and Genesis chapter 12, that promise of Abraham's family being a blessing uh, to the whole world. Well, here is Abraham's great, uh, great-grandson, great-grandson, just one great, uh, Abraham's great through Abraham's great-grandson, God has brought blessing to the world. He's revealed knowledge about the future. He's revealed it through Joseph, and that knowledge has brought great blessing and had a great impact. There we go. So the source of the knowledge, the impact of the knowledge. Now, we could dive into some more aspects of our story, but in some ways, our story today is pretty powerful, and it's actually kind of straightforward as well, isn't it? It's, a, it's an epic. But I want to actually pause now and take that time to ask this question. What, what does this mean for us, we've heard this story of some ancient dreams and some ancient famines. What does it mean for us sitting here 3,000 years later? Because if you were here last week, I think this story is a bit the same. I think it's very easy to get today's story wrong. I think again, like last week, we can start associating ourselves with Joseph. We can read this story of the future being revealed through Joseph and we can start to think, oh, God gave Joseph this special secret knowledge about the future. Maybe Maybe there's a way for me to get special secret knowledge about the future. Maybe I can be more like Joseph. Maybe if I kind of pay attention to my dreams, I can, you know, figure out what the stock market's going to do and bring great, great blessing to those around me or something like that. Now, we don't want to be silly about it. It's, it's not that God couldn't reveal secrets to us or couldn't reveal the future to us. And it's not that God can't speak through dreams. We know that sometimes he does and praise him when he does. But I think there's a couple of things we need to just push back on from today's story. Number one, We've said it a couple of times, but Joseph is not meant to be the picture of what's normal or expected in the Christian life. He's not meant to be that relatable picture of the sorts of experiences that we should be having. 
Joseph is God's chosen ruler. He's God's chosen saviour. It's not us. Our dreams, our dreams are just as likely to be caused by having spicy food for dinner. That's not, we're not meant to see ourselves in the character of Joseph. You know, I was working hard um, Wednesday afternoon writing a Bible study and then uh, Wednesday night I had a dream actually. I had a dream that I'd written a really, really terrible Bible study. You know, I, I think that was just because that was what was flying around in my head. I don't think that was special future knowledge revealed by God that my Bible study was terrible. Of course, if you're in growth group this week, you may uh, find out that that actually was the case. But that, that, that's the first thing. Joseph, Joseph isn't meant to be a picture of the normal expected Christian experience. But actually, the second thing to say is, is far more important than that. Uh, the second thing to say is that we need to remember our knowledge, point three. Because we've seen God reveal knowledge of the future to the Egyptians through his chosen ruler, Joseph. But the question for us is, well, what knowledge of the future do we have? What knowledge of the future has God revealed to us through his chosen ruler? Because you see, as we go through the Bible, we meet God's ultimate chosen ruler. We meet, meet his real chosen ruler, Jesus. And just think about it. You know, Jesus knows the future, doesn't he? You can, you can think of all sorts of examples. You know, there's, there's trivial ones like Palm Sunday. You know, if you go to that village, you'll find a donkey tied up next to a pole. You know, he knows the future. You know, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You know, he knows who's going to inherit the earth. He knows the future. You know, and as we saw in the kids' talk, he, he talks about the day that he's going to return. And he says all sorts of things. You know, it'll be worse for that city or that city on that day that I return. Because those other cities over there would have been re- repented much faster. Well, of course, you know, we, we know the whole, the whole last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. We know the full title of that book, does it, don't we? It's the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Sorry for those listening on the, on the recording at home. We've had a dog come into church, but there you go. Thanks, Charlotte. The dog's, dog's gone. That might be some sort of revelation sign. Um, <laughs> what is the book of Revelation? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's actually Jesus who God uses to reveal the future about the new heavens and the new earth. It's, it, it's Jesus that God uses to reveal the future about eternal life for those who follow him and about eternal and just punishment for those who don't. It's, it's God's chosen rule, the Jesus, that God uses to reveal the future. And like he used Joseph, his chosen saviour as well, to save the people who listened to him about the famine. Well, Jesus isn't just God's chosen ruler. He's also our chosen sa- God's chosen saviour. God uses his chosen saviour, Jesus, to save us as we listen to him about the fate of the world. You know, Egypt listened to Joseph, didn't they? They, they could have just dismissed what he had to say and say, you know, that's, that's stupid. There's not going to be seven years of famine coming after these seven, seven good years. But no, they listened. And if we listen to Jesus and if we listen to the words of Jesus, well, then we'll also be saved. We'll be saved from our sins. God knows the future through the words of Jesus that future is revealed to us. You know, we know Jesus is going to return. We know about the new heavens and the new earth that are on their way. And so as we trust in Jesus, God's chosen ruler, God's chosen saviour, we can have great confidence about what's to come. And so as we think about the story that we've just read, you know, if we read the story of Joseph and think, ah, oh, wouldn't it be cool to be able to interpret dreams? That, it's just selling the whole thing so short, isn't it? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with dreams. It's just that we already have so much more. We, we know so much more than what Joseph ever knew. We shouldn't look at him and be jealous. He, he would be jealous of what we know. We don't just know a few spotty details about the next 14 years. We know about eternity. 
we know what it's going to look like. And we know all the blessings that will come to us as we trust in Jesus. It's so much more uh, concrete. I, um, I have an example that I just want to share with you. It's a little bit um, sensitive, so just I'll try and be careful. It's about um, Olivia Newton-John. As we all know, she died only a couple of weeks ago. Very sad. Um, but I just wanted to share that I, I read this article after she died. It was a fascinating article. Um, and it was just a little, little snippet of what Olivia Newton-John thought. So I, you know, I, I guess I can't say that I knew Olivia Newton-John at all. I don't really know anything about her or, or what she thought or what she felt. But, so I'm not trying to comment on any of that. But I do just want to tell you about kind of my reaction to reading this article from just this little snippet. Uh, the article said that Olivia Newton-John believed in God. And she said that she had had some spiritual experiences. Uh, she, she liked to say the Lord's Prayer sometimes. And the article liked to say that she believed there was something after death. And so she wasn't so much afraid of dying. She was, uh, she was looking forward to seeing what might, be, what might be next. I think that's what the article said. Now, as I read that article, I, I, part of me felt encouraged. You know, okay, Olivia seemed to know something about God. But at the same time, I also felt quite sad because although... She seemed to know something and, you know, maybe she, maybe she knew enough, but it just felt like there was so much more she could have known. Through Jesus and through God's word, we have such a full and concrete picture of what the future holds. You know, we don't, we don't have to actually live with uncertainty. Jesus reveals the future. He reveals it to us. And as we trust in him and in his name, we're saved. We know about the blessings we can look forward to. The Bible isn't a book that offers just vague spiritual ideas about our world. It's God's Word. We have such powerful and concrete knowledge of the future that God's promised for those who trust in His chosen Saviour. The source of the knowledge, it's God who knows the future. Knowing about the future has a big impact, had a big impact for the Egyptians. We've seen what our knowledge is. We know about the future because of God's chosen ruler, because of God's chosen saviour. And if knowing what they knew had a big impact for the Egyptians, well, then what, is it, what impact does it have knowing what we know? Our knowledge has got to have a big impact as well, doesn't it? Three suggestions on what that impact might be, three implications. Okay, first of all, trust. As I said at the start, I think uh, humans by nature, we think about the future a lot. I think we struggle when we do have uncertainty, where we don't know where our lives are headed. No doubt we're feeling in that zone a little bit at the moment. You know, the world here at church, there's lots going on that could make us feel anxious, feel those uncertainties about what's coming next. Actually, that could, if we weren't careful, that could cause us to kind of become obsessed with what's going to happen next, couldn't it? You know, we could start trying to read our tea leaves, you know, trying to interpret every dream that we might have just trying to figure out what's going to happen, you know, what's, what the economy is going to do or how can we make the decisions that we need to make. Well, today, I think from our passage, we can be reminded that God knows the future. And even better, he's actually revealed, maybe not every single detail, but through Jesus and the world, we know, uh, through Jesus and through his word, we know the big things that are coming for those who trust him. We have the big building blocks. His kingdom's coming, his promises are sure, and so we can make those decisions with those big building blocks in place. Um, There's something I don't think we've talked about at all series, but uh, we we know that actually probably Genesis was written to the Israelites who were in the desert. Uh, They were probably about to enter the promised land. And you can imagine kind of them thinking about their futures, couldn't you? You know, it would have been pretty scary, kind of the idea of going into this foreign land, not really knowing what you're going to face there. 
Well, for them, Genesis is reminding them that they have their big building blocks in place. God knows what's going to happen. He knows the future and He's promised this land to you. You can enter the land and trust in the God who is faithful. I think that message for us is the same today. Our promised land is coming. He, he's in control. He knows the future. We can trust Him. He's faithful. Second implication, our priorities. It struck me as I was looking at the story uh, from today, how much of an impact that Joseph's future knowledge has on the priorities of the country of Egypt. You can see how just the country of Egypt, how everything suddenly changes around, you know, changes its focus, it changes its policies. Suddenly, they need to store away huge uh, portions of grain, store it up for those lean years that are coming. What strikes me actually is how obvious it all is, you know. We look at it and we think, of course, that's what they would do. You know, they knew that they knew that seven years of famine was coming. Of course, you have to store all the grain away. Of course, they needed to make those sacrifices and change those priorities. But then we've been reminded today, haven't we, that we know far, about, far more about the future than they ever did. And if it was obvious to them that they needed to change their priorities, well, it's got to be obvious to us as well, doesn't it? We could talk about all sorts of things with this. We could talk about, you know, money. We often talk here about at church about different ways we can use our money to invest in things that are going to last for eternity, uh, whether it's using our money to enable people to hear about Jesus at the uni um, through the work of people like Lauren, whether it's investing in the work that Kay's doing, trying to share the gospel in Southeast Asia, whether it's investing your money in a ministry like the Bible College, which is trying to raise up future Christian leaders. You know, sometimes we might think about those ways and think, oh, it's such a sacrifice to give to those things. And it is a sacrifice at one level. But I think we can also look at today's story and think, oh, it's also just entirely logical and sensible and the thing that, of course, you would do, knowing the knowledge that we know. You know, the Egyptians would have been crazy to not start putting food aside. We know about the eternal kingdom that's coming. If we really believe it's coming, we'd be crazy to not be prioritising our choices and our time and our investment and all sorts of things based on that eternal reality. And we know that Jesus isn't just God's chosen ruler, he's God's chosen saviour. We want people to have the opportunity to hear about him. You remember, it's a bit like, um, I think, that parable that Jesus told. You remember this parable, uh, the buried treasure in the field? Uh, It's very short and simple. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a treasure buried in the field. And the guy who finds out it's there, he goes and sells all of his possessions and everything he has because he wants to buy that field and collect that treasure. That guy's not crazy, is he? he just, he's just doing the sensible thing. He's happy to sell everything he has because he knows the return that he's getting is going to be so much more. He's getting something so much more valuable. Our trust, our priorities, our joy. This is the last one. I just want to finish here because it's not just about our decision-making or, or our, our priorities or, or our obligations or these sorts of things. Um, it's worth saying that uh, what we've heard today is something actually to get excited about, isn't it? Something we can find great joy in. I imagine you found out next weekend, next Saturday, that a good friend, a family member was going to surprise you. Uh, They were going to take you on a great day out, get some of your nearest and dearest friends and relatives together, eat some great food, do all of your favourite things, spend a great day together. Uh, You know, if you found out that that was what was going to happen, you would be pretty excited, wouldn't you? You'd look forward to it. And I think even if you were in the midst of something really hard, you would still, you know, that would still bring a smile to your face. Well, in God's word, we have found out our future. And it's good news. 
as we trust in Jesus our Saviour, we're looking forward to a world that's put right. It's not just going to be one great day, it's going to be an eternity with Jesus, with God, experiencing the blessing of a restored relationship with Him. That place in the Bible is described as a great banquet. That's what it's going to be like. It's a place where there won't be mourning anymore, where there won't be crying or tears. That is the future that's been revealed to us. That's the future that we can look forward to. One difference between us and those Egyptians uh, is that they had their seven good years and then they knew that seven years of famine were coming. Well, if we're in Jesus, we actually know that it's the other way around. We are in our years of famine at the moment, aren't we? This is not our eternal uh, joy and reward. This is our time of hardship and sorrow. These are our lean years. We're looking forward to an eternity of blessing. So will we let that shape our trust? Will we let that shape our priorities? Will we let that fill us with a deep sense of joy? Let's pray together. Uh, Jesus once said to a group of Pharisees, you know, to look at the colour of the sky and work out uh, what the weather's going to do, but you fail to recognise the big things, the sign of the times. Father, we know we're interested in the future. Uh, There's all sorts of thinking that we, we do need to do about the future, decisions we need to make, things we wonder about, things we worry about. Uh, But Father, thank you that you reveal the future. Through Jesus, you've revealed to us the big things. His eternal kingdom is on the way. Help us to trust, help us to prioritize, and fill us, Father, with that great joy because we know what the future holds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.